Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Tell Me Tales podcast. Thanks for joining me again. I am super excited to bring you this conversation that I had just yesterday, Saturday the 24th of February with Jackson Bursell and Cassie Cohen. Um, I didn't realize who they were this time last week and that kind of annoys me a bit because they're doing some pretty amazing things in the running world. But thanks to Hamish Beaumont who passed on their uh, story and their contact details and I was able to get in contact with them late last week. They are running from Cooktown up in Queensland to Melbourne, uh, 4,000 Ks, 100 days, and they're doing that to bring awareness to the acceptance of asylum seekers and refugees and migration here in Australia. So, um, yeah, I just happened to be in Wangaratta at the Wangaratta Marathon Festival over the weekend. A few people I coach were running. My partner Carly was having a run in the half marathon as well, and um, they just happened to be running to Wangaratta that same day. So... That knocked out about 45k that morning and uh, we caught up in a public park and we had a conversation about running, why they're doing what they're doing, some of the ups and downs along the road and some of the yeah, strange and interesting and exciting and amazing things they've seen on their way. Pretty young guys, 24 and 22 and yeah, quite inspirational um yeah what they're what they've put their bodies through the last uh 80 something days i think it was at that stage when we were having this conversation i must let you know before we start that we did meet in a public park and it was like 30k wins so was a bit reminded of no bioka marathon um did have the good mics there but they picked up a bit the good mics are good but they kind of pick up everything so there's a couple of times in the first maybe five minutes other than the first five minutes it's pretty good but uh, yeah, a bit of a wind gust comes through. Try to cut it out a bit, but yeah, I'm no, uh, I'm no kind of technology editor, but I, I do my best with these kind of things. But stick with me through that, and as I'm sort of saying, 95, well, 98% of this kind of conversation is top-notch quality. It's just the 2% where you kind of get a gust here and there. That's a bit annoying, but it's well worth sticking through. Um, amazing young people. Couldn't believe I kind of got the opportunity to spend an hour with them on a Saturday afternoon and yeah super inspired what they're doing please reach out to them they're doing some amazing stuff they get to Melbourne during the week this week so if you listen to this before they get there late next week um, yeah really hit them up and say you heard them on Tell Me Your Tales thanks again for listening guys and enjoy this conversation with Jackson Bursell and Cassie Cohen
tell me tales because of uh, sitting in a park in Wangaratta. First time I've had two guests at the same time and first time I've done it in a public park before. So uh, thanks for coming along, Jackson and Cassie. Thanks for having us. Thank Beautiful. You. And you guys have had a big day run and we'll get into all those things in a minute. But my, yeah, I always get the guests to introduce themselves. So did you guys want to maybe, yeah, feel free to take that whatever, whatever way you want and introduce <laughs> yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm Cassie Cohen and I'm 22 years old. Um, this feels a bit like an alcoholic's in a loose yeah, <laughs> You'll get the microphones running like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've been running probably since I was, you know, I started little athletics when I was eight or something, but um, never really been anywhere near the top or anything. I sort of found that the further I go, the the better I get, but still not anywhere near elite level yeah. or anything. So, um, yeah, I just like to get out there and um, I sort of when I got to uni and um, got involved with Melbourne Uni Athletics Club, that's kind of where I got more into it and met heaps of people who were much faster than me and um, loved watching them run, but <laughs> sort of was always a bit of an aspirational runner. and. Um, yeah, just wanted to take on a new challenge with Bounding Plains to share. Yeah, so we'll get to that straight away. Mind you, Jackson, we will get to your introduction in a second. <laughs> but yeah, you guys are running from, uh, where are you going from? Cook, Cooktown to Melbourne, 4,000 Ks. Uh, yeah, which is scary stuff. But Jackson, you maybe want to introduce yourself as well and then we'll get on to what you guys are trying to achieve. Yeah, I'm Jackson Bursell. I'm 24 and it's been about four hours since I last ran. <laughs> I tried to tie something that, that isn't necessarily like super close with running with yeah. with running and that is sharing stories yeah, yeah which makes it i don't know i know the running community really well and maybe that's why i started the podcast but runners also love sharing stories so it kind of does mix in really well and when you're out there running for long periods of time um you've got to talk and you've got to share stories and there's people that want to know your story as well so it kind of does gel pretty well there so four thousand k's pretty much 40k a day is that what we're thinking four thousand k's over 100 days is that kind of yeah the metrics yeah it'll be exactly 100 days when we finish in yeah. in see oh yeah six days six more days of running six more yeah. days so it's been 11 rest days so we've actually had it's actually an average of like 45 k's a day when we're running but because we've had 11 rest days and it kind of evens out a bit so you're just running marathons every day with uh yeah 11 rest days in there pretty much a bit over yeah yeah <laughs> where'd the idea come from um I don't know, I'd always sort of wanted to take on a massive challenge like this and um, so I kind of just came to Jackson with the idea and originally it was from Perth to Sydney um, but then Jackson had the great idea of um, telling the stories as well and it didn't really make sense to go across the desert when we're trying to meet people. Yeah, so not see anyone for like <laughs> <laughs> So he suggested um, that we should go from the top to the bottom and Cape York was just a little bit too wild up there so we shifted a little bit um, closer, further south to Cooktown, um, thanks to his suggestion. It's, yeah, it, I mean, because maps, I, I'm a bit of a map fiend, I love maps, and yeah. I, I have like a row gaining background, it's how I kind of came into running was more that navigational side, and so not many people realise that, that our, our map, our global map is distorted, and so things closer to the equator actually look a lot smaller than things further away, so, so people might look at Victoria and think it's huge, but it's actually only going to take us six days of running to do all of the, you know, the Hume from all, I mean, we're just off the Hume, but basically that route all the way in from Albury. But it took us 55 days to do Queensland. We were running the same distances yeah. every day. Um, it's 800 kilometres, 850 from Cairns to Cape York. 
and you look at that on a map and you say it doesn't look that far it's it's sydney to melbourne distance um to get from you know the the furthest north settlement on the coast which is cooktown to to then all the way up to that yeah i have friends who've run from canberra to cape york and um he told me this crazy story of of basically the chafe he had was so bad when he was doing that last section because it's so humid up there and there's so few people he just took his shorts off and ran naked yeah 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 you could do that couldn't you <laughs> yeah. Not maybe not, yeah, yeah maybe not around town but um yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so where the i i guess i know you've done a bit of stuff with uh the everesting before is that on some fundraising and raised what one hundred twenty thousand? i read somewhere as well so was that kind of the kickstart behind this project yeah, it definitely provides a lot of, of, I guess, confidence in your ability to plan a, a big kind of logistical feat. Because I mean, we're we're doing this supported. We don't we don't carry much when we're running. Just enough water to get us through the next hour and a half, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so you know, planning to make sure that we've got support crew for each stage. We've got a, a camper trailer that pops out. We sleep in that. In well, uh, most probably most of the time we sleep in that because we're you know in towns where we don't have friends or we're in no yeah, town at all no town, yeah. <laughs> um and so that's you know having a kind of background in event organizing and management mm. gives you the confidence to be like ah oh, we can do it we yeah can pull it off yeah. yeah and like the relationship between you guys like where did that how did you choose each other as you know it's a long time to be running that amount of distance with someone so where'd you guys meet and stuff and yeah how that all come about that you've come just the two of you and yeah it's a Go for it, tell me. Yeah. Oh, we actually met because of Neverest, the yeah. event you were talking about. So um, I was in Canberra at, like two years ago and just heard about the event and I'm from Melbourne, so I wanted to bring it to Melbourne. So I just messaged the Facebook page and Jackson was on the other end and he was like, great, I want to expand it. So I just helped him bring it to Melbourne. Um, yeah, and then like actually the second time we met, we did the Oxfam Trail Walker together because um, someone in my team had pulled out and we just needed someone at the last minute who was able to run it yeah so jackson jumped in came from canberra was to melbourne two weeks to notice <laughs> yeah. 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 for 100k yeah so we've just been like organizing things since then yeah yeah right so maybe unpack the everesting stuff as well because like, i've i've heard about it before on strava like a lot of people doing the cycling and stuff but yeah you weren't on a bike were you no so I have, I have a friend who's a keen cyclist and i'd seen quite a few of my friends in canberra canberra's a big cycling community too do it on bikes and like i'm not a bike yeah not a bike rider so i was like well maybe we can do this on foot and you know it seemed pretty crazy and i remember at that time this massive earthquake had struck in nepal and um i was i was thinking i'd had the idea about maybe doing an everest or something like that on foot um picking a hill you know going up and down until your total vert reaches the equivalent height of mount everest and um and then the earthquake happened and I was like, well, what a perfect opportunity because it's so symbolic of what, you know, Mount Everest, the highest peak in Nepal, they need help right now. And this is something crazy. I could get myself and a bunch of mates and I'd actually planned to go over there later that year. And so, you know, I remember my mate, I called him up and I said, look, you know, we're going over there in October. This was in April. I'd, I'd feel kind of bad just going over there. It, not, you know, it's an Aussie thing. You want to help out if you're going to, you know. So were you going over to climb Everest? Was that your We were going over to do base camp. Yeah, not right. definitely not yeah. climb the, the actual thing. We were just going to have a geese. You're about to run from one point of Australia to yeah, the other. Yeah, yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, things are really escalated. Since yeah. Then. Um, and yeah, you know, when we set off and in that first year in 2015, um, there was about 60 of us in Canberra 
going up and down. Most were just doing it in, we had like a Teams component, so people could do it and we had this big board, we hand wrote it in the first year and people would add a little tally yeah. to their box and so we counted what the total vertical climb was of all the people in the event and there was one guy, Andrew Donaldson, he's a he's a pretty experienced ultramarathon runner who turned up on the day and he was the only reason why I finished it solo because he pushed me the whole way. Yeah, we did right. it together and oh, about three, each lap was 500 vertical metres and about it took us about an hour, 2Ks up, 2Ks down from um, this dam just outside of the ACT. And um, yeah, about three laps to go, I was on the ground. I was horizontal and just dying. And he said, no, we're finishing this. <laughs> we started together. Um, yeah, so that's... that's so that where event. does the, you know, we'll get into why you guys are going from the top to the bottom and helping people out and sharing, you know, people's story and trying to raise some money for a great course as well. But where does that sense of help comes from? Like what you guys, you know, it's talking to you for 10 minutes now. It seems so passionate to make other people's lives better. So where did that start for for both you guys? I don't know actually. Um, I guess it's just fun to sort of use athletic feats to sort of help other people and kind of do it in more and more creative ways. So Jackson obviously had the idea for Neverest and I kind of just jumped on board with that one. But um, it's nice for this one that we kind of came up with the idea together mm. um, and sort of added different bits in ourselves. And um, yeah, as far as we're aware, like people no one's really done something as crazy or somewhat so stupid as this before then. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty fun to sort of take on a new challenge and it's nice to do something different and um, and sort of change people's minds about what, what can be possible because before this a lot of people sort of probably said to me, especially because I've got less running experience than Jackson, that you know, you're not going to make it and you haven't really trained enough and you haven't like you don't know what the heat's going to be like up there and that kind of thing and I mean that probably just drove us to to get there even more basically but um but it's nice sort of to say those people now like look it's possible and imagine what you can do do, too if you like also try something that you don't know if it's possible so are you running marathons when you are training with Melbourne Union stuff or I've actually never run a marathon never run a marathon until uh, now I've run like 83 or something (laughs) that's insane isn't it (laughs) But I'd done like the Oxfam trail walker, I'd yeah. done Everest and um, uh, yeah, half with marathons? Melbourne Uni I'd done half marathons. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. I'd said to my coach at Melbourne Uni that I wanted to run a marathon. He was like, maybe just wait a few more yeah, years. A bit so I was young, a bit too scared yeah. to tell him about this and he's just found it on Strava and he's not sure what's going on, but <laughs> <laughs> he's okay with it. And Jackson, for you, like that sense of I helping think, people? I think there was, so I was, before this, I was on the Australian team for cross-country skiing. Yeah, sure. And, um, and so I think a lot of runners and, and elite athletes would probably be able to relate to this. What happens is when you get to like a level where sport is like a big part of your life, you become quite selfish. Mm. Um, you know, it's a lot about, your recovery is all about you and particularly in individual sports mm. like running, cross-country skiing, individual endurance sports, you know, long bike riding that sort of stuff everything yeah you just start to kind of become a bit selfish or and and it never sat well with me I hated you know sitting around and someone would you know you someone would do something for you or you know if we'd be at an event you know you wouldn't want to yeah tie yourself out too much and I was just one day I was like I just hate this aspect of 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 what I'm doing at the moment which is is all focused on like just me performing and me you know doing something and and people do stuff for me and I you know it just never sat well with me and 
I think, that, yeah, that was the moment in 2015 when I started to step back from skiing a bit more and was like, it's so incredibly rewarding when you organise an event or do something that's so much bigger than just yourself. Mm. And, and yeah, I remember there was like a bit of a, a point where I was like, and you get hooked, you know, when you start doing events that raise money for other people or organising events for other people or you're pushing your body and using that as like a kind of touchstone to then, yeah, I guess raise money or spread awareness and you just want to keep doing it because yeah. I mean, yeah, ultimately it, it was what made me feel more fulfilled than when I was just competing for myself. Yeah, and I guess when you get in those dark places and you know it's not just for you as well, like it's, mm. yeah, you're doing it for a lot of other people and yeah, just on the skiing though, like, yeah, you went to the World Champs in 2015 in Sweden, like you kind of brushed over that, you know, it was like almost a hobby that you were doing the way you kind of described yeah. it, but it must have been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, look, cross-country skiing in Australia is a very small sport. You know, the community is, is tiny. Um, and uh, you still, to try and compete against those nations, the Scandinavian nations, yeah. you do have to put in a lot of effort. And, and even training for this run, I remember I was looking at my training diary and I did 700 hours in 2015. I only did 600 and something in, in 2017. So I was actually, I used to do more training back when I was a skier because it's, yeah. it's a low impact sport. We you know, have to do a lot of upper body work as well as lower body work. I mean, yeah. people in the know might know that it's rated as one of the highest, like, in yeah. Well, VO2 like, like, max. Through the roof, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, through the, I mean, mine isn't, isn't particularly what high. What was it back in the day? Can you remember? It was 74. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still massive. It's decent, yeah. yeah. But um, like, there are guys on my team who have 89. You know, he's got the yeah. Australian record. He's currently at, the, at Pyeongchang. Yeah, right, um, yeah. And That's why, yeah. Yeah, I, and, and look, that background is definitely... It definitely influences, um, yeah, my running now, and I think it's been a ma really great on this project and this trip because, you know, when you when you're training with a team and you you always moving around, it's a bit like this. We're always moving around. You have to, you know, for us we'd be left behind if we didn't get to training on time. So I'm always very you know punctual and always about yeah. getting things done quickly and efficiently. So all those things have influenced, I guess, who I've, I've become. Um, in that sense so it's a weird kind of hybrid now yeah. well you're 24 now yeah so like yeah, yeah why did you finish up so early like the cross-country skiing oh uh, I, I so i'd gotten to a level um so i was i was racing what's called sprint cross-country skiing which yeah. is about three and a half minutes super high intensity and um i i've managed to get onto the world cup circuit at the start of yeah in 2015 and so that's i guess the highest level of of that kind of sport and i was competing against the best in the world and getting absolutely thrashed mm. you know week in week out yeah. we'd move from nation to nation in europe and i just couldn't make that next step to kind of break into what they call the top 30 which is a bit of a standard in the sport yeah. um and i think i knew what i needed to do which was i was still studying full-time at anu and did a, a law and commerce degree there and it just got to the point where i couldn't do the 25 hours of training a week and the and study yeah. and something had to give and I wasn't prepared to give the study away and I yeah that's when I started doing more running because you know running you can get away with 13 14 yeah. hours a week yeah. and be competitive or sure. somewhat I, I was never an amazing um runner to be honest it was more of a hobby yeah um so yeah that that was kind of it, the decision was made for me I guess yeah awesome so take me back when does the the first email go back and forth or text messages for this kind of yeah and how long ago like obviously you nearly finished your what 30 how many days in 32 80, 83 was today. oh no sorry 100 days not i was thinking yeah. 40 days yeah, yeah. <laughs> 83 yeah so you nearly finished but yeah. 
yeah, how long ago did the planning have to um, have to start taking place? And where did yeah, where the initial idea come from? Um, well, it was August twenty sixteen. Yep. So, um, yeah, I guess there's a lot of things that went into it, but I, the kind of first time I remember talking about it was when. Um, I was applying for like grad jobs because it was my last year of uni and I was trying to, um, I was just sort of joking to a friend that if I didn't get anything then I'd just go and run across the country or do yeah. something like that and she kind of laughed for a second and then she was like, you know what, I can actually see you doing that and I was like, yeah, maybe. Um, and then like it kind of became, I, I just didn't want to go to a job and then just work in that job for 40 yeah. years and then retire. retire and pay bills and only do super, that, so yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, it'd be nice to do something different. Um, and then I had a feeling that Jackson would be interested, um, just because knowing that he does a lot of things like this. Um, but I'd already set up a meeting with the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, who we're fundraising for, and um, they were on board. Um, and yeah, and pretty much as soon as I mentioned it to Jackson, he was like, all right, well, like I'll help you plan the route and I'll come and like help you be help with support crew and that sort of thing. And then about two minutes later, he sent another message saying, "Actually, I'm coming as well." Yeah. <laughs> kind of just kept going from there. Couldn't help yourself, Jackson. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I was also looking for something. I guess I finished uni at the end of November. Yeah. And so yeah, I didn't haven't applied for any jobs. I'm still <laughs> still <laughs> running across the country. Yeah. 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 Still. Yeah. You're doing some pretty amazing stuff. Friend asked me that uh, someone was interviewing us the other day and they said oh you know so where do you live and what do you do i'm like well i live in a caravan and i run across the country you know that's that's the description of what i do that's we describe it as a run employed yeah that's good yeah so you're probably working harder than everyone else who's actually got a job working in one one concept or another so yeah yeah really interesting stuff so then i'm sure there's a lot of planning behind the scenes so you've had this meeting with uh ac asrc um, the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, and then what happens after that? Like, are you mapping it or getting permits, or like, what has to go into the next stage of it? We did a couple of brainstorming sessions, um, and I was up with some of my other adventure friends after I'd finished uni in, at the end of 2016. Yeah, and um, I was looking over some route planning. I was still organising um, Everest yep. Everesting events, so I always had. So I was just juggling so many event balls um, that it was it was tough to fit some of the planning in. But I remember a friend saying, oh, "Are you sure you want to do Perth to Melbourne or Perth to Sydney?" And I said, "Ah, oh, maybe you know now that we've wanted." To, I, I was I messaged Cassie saying, "Look, I think we should because again I, I wanted the focus to be on something other than ourselves." Yeah. And um and I was really passionate. I really enjoyed the um, Humans of New York Facebook yeah, page, yeah. you know, that shares stories. Yeah. And I was like, "Why don't we do something like that?" But for, for refugees and asylum seekers and we expanded it to migrants just because um, particularly up in some places in Queensland yeah. there hasn't been any settlement in some of those towns so and there were some really colourful migrant history up there you know Italian and Sicilian cane farmers and <laughs> and um, yeah so so we wanted to highlight some of those stories too and so once we added that in I was like well I'll plot a route that that kind of goes past all of the major population centres yeah. and so if you look at our route it, it actually encompasses quite a large proportion of the Australian population. Um, and yeah. so that, that was what informed the route. Yeah. yeah, awesome. And then, like, when you're looking at the, the map and the route and stuff, like, obviously, are you guys running, like, the side of busy highways and stuff? Or, like, you have to look at some back, back roads that, yeah, no one uses? 
we had about 40 days on the Bruce Highway. Did you? Yeah, <laughs> I was Queensland, So we were pretty happy to leave that behind us, I think. But Jackson's like done a great job on the route and most of the time we're on nice back roads that are really scenic and it, it's been really fun. And take me back to day one. So like you're, you're lacing <laughs> up, you're fresh. No, no, actually take me back to the training. Because like, yeah. yeah, how do you prepare? Or do you prepare or you just get fitter as you go? Like, <laughs> what happens? We tried to prepare. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I'm sure as many people would know, you know, you have the best of intentions, a training plan, stepping up, yeah. building up your volume. I was like, okay, by August, we should be doing 120 Ks a week. And, I mean, neither of us were anywhere near yeah. close to that. I mean, now we run 300 Ks a week, yeah. no worries. Um, but back then, we, we couldn't even do 120. Was that because, like, just motivation or, you know, the body just wasn't coping with the mileage? Or why, why weren't you doing the 120 K weeks? A bit of a mix of things. Um, I mean, I was working full time and Jackson was studying full time. He, he did like 10 subjects last year or something ridiculous. Um, but also just because I kept getting injured, like I had a torn calf muscle, so I was out for seven weeks and I sprained an ankle, so I was out for three weeks and just kept having all these injuries that like kind of sort of played on the confidence a bit and sort of made me wonder how we we're going to get through three months of running yeah but, um, like an alarm bell's going off when you're <laughs> you know straining this and rolling ankles and the confidence low when you're this yeah. is tackling 120 k's a week not 120 k's in three days yeah. Yeah, i think i think what happened um for me was there was like uh, when i got into my final exam block i just spent so much time sitting down i think my glutes yeah. were just wrecked and then everything was just out of alignment i had this tib post niggle that just wouldn't go away and actually like i remember you I go back and look at my Strava for the three weeks leading into the run I did like maybe 100 k's over three weeks like I did nothing then I did 10 and then in the last week I did like 60 but I could and that was all made up of like 10k like little like waddles because it was just so painful and I was like how the hell you know I, a couple of my friends were like oh you know you're ready and I'm like I can barely even do yeah. 8k's without stopping I have no idea and but no, I rested it up, and our first, the, the plan for the first week was to build up, so the first week was kind of 30k days, and so that was good, I definitely wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have made it if we'd had like a couple of big 50k days to start, Yeah. Um, and then just, yeah, building into it, and slowly, over about a month, everything takes a long time when you're, I mean, when you're running such long distances, <laughs> yeah. but little niggles, you can kind of work them out over days, um, and sometimes if something goes wrong, like something twinges, you're like, okay, okay, well, tomorrow I've got to do this and the next day it might be a little bit better and the next day it might be. So you kind of have to yeah. prepare yourself if you get an injury for like four or five days to kind of, if you want to build your pace back up to what you were doing before. Yeah. It, but yeah, and that's an interesting kind of mental, yeah, meal. But <laughs> Yeah, especially when, like I'm the same, like I did 10K this morning, it was hard work and I was just jogging along and... But yeah, I think when you're mentally preparing for 40k, yeah, you've just put in a different space in your brain and mm. yeah, somehow you get it done. So back to that, like, yeah, so you fly up there or you drive up there with a crew or take me to day one. What time of the day you start and how's the nerves? <laughs> day one was interesting, actually. So well, we, we had to drive up because we had the caravan. Yeah. So we did about three days of like 10 hours solid driving and we sort of just swapped You're driving, driving over your route? Like you're like, oh, no, no, we went inland much okay, quicker. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but on day one, we decided to start at 10 a.m. because um, we, we had a short day. We had 28 k's, which is the shortest day we've done the whole trip, actually. 
Um, and because we wanted people to turn up and we thought if we started at 6am people probably wouldn't come. So we ended up having like three councillors and someone from the local paper turn up and my dad who was support crew at the time. Yeah. So it wasn't a massive crowd. Um, but we had like, there, it turns out there's three Captain Cook memorials in the town of Cooktown and I'd sent everyone who was turning up to the wrong one. Um, which we discovered about 10 minutes before we went to start. So we were standing on top of this massive memorial, like, which is really scenic, like this beautiful mountain in Cooktown. And then we had to quickly drive down to the bottom where there was a statue that um, I'd accidentally sent everyone to. That to one, yeah. <laughs> so it was so a bit yeah. of a false start. Off to a good start, yeah. 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 So we like. lost about 2Ks from the run. <laughs> and then nerves and stuff, like, is it... Like, yeah, that anticipation at all these, this time of planning and you're about to take your first step, get your satellites and your garments ready and push go. It was a bit. I think because I'd just been so injured in those last three weeks leading up to it, I'd put my expectations down at my shoelaces. I yeah. was like, look, if I get through the first week, that's fine. And because, because we had that stories component, I was like, at least there's something else. We'd actually... We were so uncertain that we'd packed bikes as well. So we we have bike we had bikes we take we've taken them off now because we know we're going to make it. But yeah. We had bikes on the roof of our car all the way to Sydney, and they never moved from the roof of the car. They literally sat there, and the, the gear train on my bikes rusted on because it just sat there in the bloody <laughs> rain and salt up there. Yeah. Um, because I was I was pretty certain, well not certain, but I was yeah thinking that I was probably going to have to end up on the bike after two or three weeks. Yeah, so um, not a bad backup plan though, like still a lot of respect in cycling that distance, yeah. so yeah. But yeah, so that was that was our fallback, but yeah, the, the further you run, the more determined you become to, yeah. to finish it on foot. I and think. it mounts too, doesn't it? Like it's yeah. the more you've got behind you, it's kind of, you don't want to let go of that. Mm. Um, North Queensland. What you're kind of spreading awareness for is probably renowned for not being aware or passionate or, um, mm. yeah, with the migration and the acceptance of refugees and asylum seekers and things like that, how did, how did it go down? We had low expectations. Um, we came in knowing that it, we were sort of starting in the toughest area because um, obviously starting up north, people are renowned for having um, not necessarily positive views towards um, people of different multicultural backgrounds, but um, what we actually found was that people are so welcoming and warm and everyone up there is like full-on Australian spirit, like they want to welcome you into their home and they want to know what's going on and if you ask them a question you'll still be staying there an hour later because they'll still be talking. <laughs> um, so what we found that is that a lot of people um, might actually have negative views towards people of different multicultural backgrounds just because they haven't actually met someone from a different background or there's no one living in their community who was born somewhere else or who had to flee from somewhere else. Um, so that's kind of what we're, the whole point of our campaign is to basically introduce these people to um, people who might not necessarily agree with, um, with, with people from a refugee or migrant background and basically say, look, these, these refugees are actually in your community. They're, they really just want the best for you and for everyone in the community. They're your community workers, your nurses, your doctors, your teachers. Um, and they're really just, you know, they're not that different to you. Just and people, if you yeah. Just, yeah, and if you hear their stories, you'll realise how similar you are and you might even be inspired to go and chat to them if you see them out in the town. So um, I think once we kind of got that message across, 
um, we didn't have any negativity really up there. And we had people like truck drivers um, pulling over on the side of the road, wondering why we were still running because they'd seen us running yesterday on the Bruce Highway and we we're still running on the Bruce Highway today. And have we stopped <laughs> overnight or were we just running? Um, and once we explained what we were doing, they were all really positive and that's probably not what you'd expect of your typical truck driver in Queensland, but we were really inspired by what we found. Yeah, yeah. And it's about that knowledge, isn't it? Like when you hear the stories and, you know, know the people a bit firsthand and you can have that kind of, that content kind of put it straight in your face like you're talking about in a general, in a genuine conversation, it just makes the, the world a difference. It's such a human issue. Yeah. And I think that was why when people think, oh, you should be doing more fundraising, because the fundraising really hasn't been like super central to our project. And they're like, a lot of people who have done crazy things like this will raise huge amounts of money. But for this issue, you know, if you want society to get along more harmoniously, money isn't actually going to solve it. Mm. You actually need to meet people and hear their stories and, and put their actions in the context of, of, of what they've had happen to them or, or the decisions they've had to make to come to this country. So um, I think that was really cool that um, when we when we did kind of put that in, in context, when we were showing stories to people who we might have been staying with, who'd say, oh, you know, I think it, you know, refugees have it a bit too easy these days. You know, they get a lot of handouts and-, and Take away jobs and- Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they see that, you know, we'd show them some of the stories that we'd, we'd published on our Facebook page, you know, videos of people living in their community and their teachers and their doctors and nurses and, you know, and then they'd say, oh, those those are good people. Yeah. And, and yeah, like they are. They are <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that was quite heartwarming. Yeah. So the concept, obviously, you share one story a day on the social media and stuff. And then how how did you get all that research? Like, I'm sure finding a hundred different stories was hard work as well. Yeah. So that's kind of my role in the project is to reach out to um, all the different sort of, there's multicultural groups and councils. So um, spend a lot of time on hold to local councils. Yeah, sure, um, yeah trying to find out if they have a multicultural officer and often they don't <laughs> um, but yeah just sort of reaching out to the local communities or like the local universities and um, seeing if they know anyone from a refugee background and um, yeah often sort of we'll talk to someone and they'll be like oh I've got a friend who's got a like an interesting story as well so we'll go and chat to them um, so they come from all different places but that's kind of the point of it as well we want it and we really wanted to focus on people who hadn't been celebrated in the media before because yeah. often, um, I mean, we put the call out for people to nominate themselves and there's a nomination form yeah, on our website, that on website yeah. but we haven't really had many people nominate themselves and we think that's just because people with a refugee background are so humble that they don't realise how much they've achieved yeah. just by getting here and how much... Um, yeah, how, how much, even just learning English or like getting a job, how in, like incredible that is given their tough background. So when we say like remarkable stories, people are like, oh, well, I'm not remarkable. And then we hear their stories and we're like, of course you're remarkable. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, so we've sort of done most of the reaching out of it. Um, yeah, we've been amazed by the people we've met. Yeah, so good. So back to that like first week. So you've, you know, low 28K day the first day and then, mm. Like, how's the body start responding? Because I'm sure if you go from low amount of mileage to uh, there, 20, 30K days straight up, it's got to start banging up a bit. Yeah, I really struggled in the first half. Um, at the, I think at about day seven, I ITBs blew up and I had to take a whole day walking. Um, I had to walk, yeah, we walked 38K that day. 
Which um, is nearly harder than running in a way. Yeah, it was. So long, at right? the end of that yeah. day, I was like, no, nah, I'm running tomorrow. I don't care how much yeah. it hurts. Yeah, yeah. In the heat, yeah. yeah. You're running until like two in the afternoon or walking until two in the afternoon and it's yeah. just ridiculous, yeah. So like injuries or like anything serious or just like a couple of just niggles here and there? Now or then? No, or? like, yeah, at the start. Because, like, a doctor or a physio or a running coach wouldn't recommend going from, yeah, yeah not much to 300k a week. What What is so bizarre, and this might be radical, but I'm sure there's a few people who might listen who would know this, is that you would think an overuse injury couldn't get better by using it more, but from my experience, it does. Yeah, and right. that's really radical. And it was, I didn't think so. I thought, I'm absolutely cooked after day seven. And I'm just going to be walking the rest of the way to Melbourne. And I was like, so happy the next day to be running at eight minute Ks again, like just shuffling. And I was like, I can do this. I could do this all the way to Melbourne. And then two days later, I'm doing 7.30s and then I'm doing 7s. And then after a month, I'm back to 6.30s. And then, uh, you know, a week after that, I'm back to 6s. And now I can I can do like 5.50s today. So like, you know, you, you can, and it, it's actually outrageous because even up there, my average sleep was six hours, 20 a night. And we'd be running for five hours, 40. So we're almost running more than we're sleeping and you can still recover. Like running is just the, like the activity that we were born to do. And I think the more you do it, if you've, if you've got the time to run for four hours a day, like I find the pains that I might have at two hours don't exist at four hours. And I would never have thought to push through after two hours, but there's this Nirvana at five hours that happens almost every time yeah. I get there. I'm I've, like, whoa. I've heard trail runners and ultra guys talk about this because yeah. I'm like, my longest run before a marathon might be, I've done one three hour run in my life. Um, but usually preparing for a marathon, it's yeah, two and a half, 235. So it's a whole different like almost sport in a way when you start mm. going that far. And you're Cassie, like, how did your body, yeah, go? Sorry, I was going to say, you're going a lot faster yeah, than Yeah, but still, like, <laughs> I'm just, yeah, going out and doing 35k at four minute k pace is a lot easier than, yeah, going and doing, yeah, 45k at, uh, yeah, five and a half or five thirties or five or six minutes. And yeah, like, I, I think that jarring in the time you're on your feet. But Cassie, like, how did your body, like, react straight up? Straight up, I was actually pretty, like, surprisingly okay. So probably for the first two months, I was like, oh, I'm still going. This is great. Um, but maybe for the last sort of couple of weeks, I've had a bit of my, my legs just going, no, nah, I'm done. And yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, you've got to get to Melbourne still. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it, I find that, like, as Jackson said, like, as you keep going, so it might be tough for, like, the first hour. And then usually after that, it just sort of gets into line and sort of, realizes that you're not going to stop so it just has to do what you want it to yeah. do so is there any concerns about like long-term injuries <laughs> or like damage you could possibly be doing to your body though you have to block you have to <laughs> block it pause, out yeah. yeah you block it out think like, about that next week yeah yeah, yeah exactly i'll yeah. be lying down for about a week after this <laughs> yeah and are you getting like treatment and stuff like are you dropping in with physios or masseuses or uh, we couldn't afford it <laughs> yeah <laughs> no Nah. It's amazing then what the human body can do, isn't it? Yeah. Like in a way. And have you noticed like your heart rate dropping or right? Like you're taking, getting a bit, obviously you mentioned Strava a couple of times, but are you guys yeah. tracking your heart rates or anything like that? Yeah, I, I do. I Just from the skiing background, everything yeah. was always about data. And so I was particularly up in the heat. I would always keep make sure that my heart rate was below, I know my threshold. So, you know, keeping it in that, we call it level one, that yeah. like aerobic work zone and when i'd notice because it was always getting hot every day it'd go up into the 30s yeah. so that last hour I'd, I'd cross into our like level two we call yeah. it which is you know 
for me, it's like above 150 beats per minute of a pretty high heart rate. And so like I was always trying to fastidiously keep it down. Um, and then as it got cooler, I was and I was going faster. I noticed it would stay quite low, but and I noticed like a, maybe a week or two ago, I was a bit, you know, had a runny nose, and so the heart rate was up. But it doesn't seem to stop you from doing the same thing every day. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And Mike, you must have some amazing stories. Like, does anything stand out? Some interesting characters you've met, or like maybe that we'll go with that first. Like, have you met some interesting people on the road? There's some very interesting characters. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know where to begin with that. Yeah, yeah, like, honestly, we meet people every day. I mean, as well as going out and, and meeting the people who we've organised to meet, the refugees and, and asylum seekers and migrants, there's also all... We've met so much of Australia's retired and newly retired population <laughs> yeah. in the caravan Caravans. parks. Yeah. caravan park owners with interesting yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In Queensland, it's great. It's like you, you see someone and, and you start talking to them and you can see like this kind of bubble kind of come across their head that says like, I'm about to download to you my entire life story. Yeah, yeah. And then it just starts happening and you get the 40 minute, like this is my life from childhood to where I am, like right at Podcast this very episode, minute. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, so, and sometimes it's really interesting. And sometimes you're like, well, you've had such a different life to most Australians, yeah. you know going out and you know strangling horses in the outback and and building replica coaches with 12 stallions and you've driven that across the country or the desert it's just bizarre strange stuff yeah and any like times where you've you know thought maybe we're a bit unsafe here or like what are we doing and yeah like any kind of nearly sos kind of moments there was one time where, like, coming into Noosa, um, the night before we did this, Jackson was looking at the route and he was like, how far are you prepared to swim? <laughs> I was like, not prepared I didn't swim. sign up for yeah. swimming, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, I'm confident, it'll be fine. Yeah. And I was like, I'm packing, like, a change of clothes that I don't believe you. <laughs> and we got to this, like, we were in this forest and we got to this... Um, like this area where we just looked across and he was like this is where the bridge was, <laughs> I was like, there's no bridge <laughs> um, and then like we for a few minutes I was like surely there's some better way to cross because it was like probably 15 meters across yeah. in this kind of black fetid water that you don't want to swim in and after like a couple of minutes he was like look we're just gonna have to swim <laughs> and I was like all right so we just sort of went in fully clothed with all our gear and i just went across holding my phone up it it's apparently waterproof but i didn't believe it um so it's just like just paddling across and we luckily avoided any sharks crocodiles anything that could have been in there and um got out and kept running (laughs) it was funny running into noosa in you know an hour later just covered in mud and yeah. yuck and everyone in nooses you know yeah, put yeah. together they've thought about their outfit it's yeah. all you know coordinated My socioeconomic place of the world yeah <laughs> yeah and and i mean we'd matched the colors but only because mud is like a uniform color <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah and like animals and stuff like have you, you come across any snakes or like yeah what yeah, talk us through like what some of the animals you've seen few snakes um really the snakes only since uh, like golden area yeah i think the highway scares away a lot of um because yeah. you know and a lot of the time we're running we were running on busy roads in the first half and so we didn't actually see any alive snakes lots of roadkill like mm, yeah. like so many dead animals it would kind of make you sad or turn you vegetarian um but 
yeah, once we got off the main roads, we saw a lot more alive stuff. Yeah, a few snakes and lizards and big goannas, cassowary up in the yeah. in the Dane Tree. Yeah. yeah, and like, have there ever been any pinch yourself kind of moments where you, you know, some some good sunrises or you know some generosity that you just didn't expect? And because it's, it's an amazing way to live your life in a way. Like it's yeah, it's probably not for you guys a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's almost probably become a bit normal for you. But um, yeah, any kind of pinch yourself moments. Um, a couple of days ago we were in Goulburn coming into Canberra and this lady drove past and kind of just slowed down because Jackson was up ahead and I was just running behind and um, yeah and she was just like are you okay and I was like yeah yeah I'm fine we're heading to Melbourne and so she obviously wanted to know more because it's not really a normal thing to say um, and then yeah she, I just explained it and she donated to the ASRC she's got all her change out and handed over and then I said, um, you know, there's there's a guy running up ahead. Just as you drive past, just shout, go Jackson, and keep driving. <laughs> and then we got to the next rest stop, and Jackson's like, did you, like, did you <laughs> talk to someone? Because this lady just knew my name. <laughs> did you tell him you did? Or like, <laughs> she's like, I'm getting stalked. She's tracking us on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, oh, sorry, go. No, it's just it's it's funny because um so because we have support crew who come up and do a week, and and then one of my friends who he, he'd come up with his girlfriend and did two and a half weeks with us, and then he actually came back up and did four days just because we had a bit of a gap in the schedule, and he was starting to talk about stuff that we hadn't you know experiences and people we'd met and uh, yeah things that we'd done in those two and a half weeks that had just kind of fallen out the back of my mind because so much is happening pretty much every day or second day, mm. it's actually hard to kind of keep it all in your head. Mm. And so it was interesting when my friend Nick came back and he was like, oh, I remember we went to this this um, multicultural group, which is in a shire that's called Isis Shire. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah right. which I mean, an unfortunate name now because yeah. of what's happened in Syria. But so this group is called the Isis Multicultural Group. <laughs> and, you know, and it has this absolute character who heads it up. And, and we just had a, a very interesting lunch that they'd put on for us very kindly. And we were able to chat to some of the, the people who, who you know were part of that group and they shared their stories on our, our page. But it was such a weird lunch and there were a lot of funny characters. And, and we just, because, you know, we, we do tend to have quite a lot of those sorts of things happening throughout. We've had lots of, very luckily, we've had, um, lots of uh, groups put on lunches and, and gatherings for us that it's hard to, to try and, and keep it all in your head. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and almost like returning to the real world could be difficult because mm. you're so used to this kind of world that you've been in for the last 80 days. Definitely. Yeah, it would be pretty strange to sort of finish on, uh, sorry, next Friday we're finishing and to wake up the next morning and like not have a certain amount of k's ahead of us yeah. so like that kind of schedule ahead will be a bit different yeah. but um hopefully we'll get back into running pretty soon and have some new challenges ahead go to a park run and that just seriously it's going to be over like that compared to what you guys have been doing and if you had like i guess running and kind of living out of each other's pockets a bit like you had some good arguments along the way like i know if that was me in doing it with anyone it wouldn't matter if it's my best mate or my partner carly or whoever but i'm sure there's some yeah, tense definitely. times where you just give each other a bit of an earful Running yeah. separate spots. Probably over stupid little things. Yeah, it always is, though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Cassie's alarm went off like once and she didn't get up straight away. And I was like, 
if your alarm goes off, get up. Get up. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of my, like, you know. I've also know, had that argument before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> had so. that my partner, Carly. But in you hindsight, it? it's a yeah. small thing. I've gotten up as soon as the alarm goes off every morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Set the scene early and then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. funny. And talk to me about crews. So, like, you have different crews coming through for a week at a time. That must be oh, a good adventure for them just to get a bit of a taste of it as well. Yeah, I was worried that it might have been a really boring experience. But so far, everyone seems to have had some cool experience. And a lot of them get to come and meet the people who we're interviewing. And sometimes they find that really cool and interesting and rewarding. But then, you know, just seeing the country. This, mm. It's such a... A lot of people, I think a lot of Australians go overseas, go to Europe, do their gap year doing that. And, you know, we've kind of had a gap three and a half months exploring our country mm. and it's I think it's always overlooked but there's a reason why so many Germans and Americans and other countries yeah. come here because we've got really really like awesome scenery awesome people and stories and country yeah. Yeah, and are they like family or friends or a bit of a mix of both or can people like random people been signing up to come up for a week or <laughs> no, random. no yeah, no. doing doing police checks before they come <laughs> along yeah we have had random people offering us a place to stay though. So we've had, um, like over Christmas, we had this family in Rockhampton um, just message our page on Christmas Eve and say, like, do you want to come and um, have dinner with us for Christmas? And we were like, actually, we don't have anywhere to stay in Rockhampton yet. Is it possible we could actually stay with you? And thankfully they said yes. So we actually ended up staying there for like four nights over Christmas. And so they were good. really cool. And the guy, um, the, the dad of the family, Marty Hack, is a like an ultramarathon runner as well. So he came and ran with us for one of the days, and they were just awesome. And they're still following along, and we're still in touch with them. And like we had Christmas dinner with the family we'd only met the day before, but it's kind of those experiences that you remember forever. Yeah. I think. And have you had many people jump in and run with you guys? I know when we were messaging originally, Cassie, I wasn't sure where you're going to be this weekend, and I was yeah hoping to come along for a few k's. But have you had anyone? Yeah, a few people jump in along the way and keep his company. Yeah, a few. Increasingly, as we've come south, more, yeah. more population spaces. But probably less than I thought. I thought, I mean, maybe that's because I'm the sort of person who if I saw that, I would say, oh, I'm coming to run yeah, yeah. in with you guys. And, you know, that would be really cool. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I guess it's not everyone's kettle of fish. <laughs> and I yeah. can understand, you know, come and run along People the Bruce working. Highway yeah, with yeah. us. <laughs> For yeah. 45 k's, uh, yeah. A friend just joined us in Albury and he was like, I have never run any of these roads and I've lived here, yeah. like, all my life. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're hitting the scenic, like, kind of, yeah, river trails and stuff like that. You're on yeah. the, on the, uh, yeah. And just, the, like, you hit some good mountains and stuff as well. I'm just thinking, like, the, yeah, like, what kind Round of elevation? Camp, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, we were doing, the biggest day we did was, day three in the Daintree, which was like 1,500 yeah. per. Um, but we did two, like, 1,000-metre days in the Brindabellas only a week and a bit ago. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty much bush bashing. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson, like, knew the mountains really well because, obviously, he's lived in Canberra for a while and he kind of just, like, led us up, like, rather than winding around the mountains on the roads, he was like, all right, we're going to go up this. And it was apparently, apparently used to be a track, but it definitely wasn't a track anymore. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's just, like, blackberry bushes. And he was like, it'll be right. Stop. Like, we'll be over soon and we'll be fine. And I was just, like, avoiding snakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get through. But it was good fun. And the darkest moment for both of you guys? Like, the point where you're like, all right, this is getting really close. Well, has there been one? Like, where you're like, this is, I'm sick of this, I don't want to do it anymore, kind of. Or does that happen every day and you, <laughs> and you roll out of it? I mean, for me, it was probably, like, last week when I had a really sore day with my leg and I was like, 
it would be so bad to tear something now and not get to Melbourne mm. with like a week to go. Um, I think I'd probably find a way to crawl there or something like at this point, but <laughs> it was still still not great. But I don't think I don't, wouldn't describe it as a dark moment. Yeah, I think you just sort of keep on going. Yeah. Jackson, any? Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely in that in that second week. Yeah, yeah. When I was really struggling, but yeah, I think even then I was still trying to find ways to be like, well, how can I get there still on feet? Yeah. You know, just because once you back yourself in with something like this. It, it would just be such a disappointment not yeah. to get there. So, yeah, and you build so much pressure and, and I guess, hype around it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, never never a truly dark moment. And at no point have I ever said, no, nah, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I think yeah. because as we've run, we've gotten more efficient with finding people, with editing the stories, um, you know, cutting it all together, c- consolidating, you know, what we, we... We know how to ask questions better when we're interviewing people so we can get to what make people what makes people tick and so that's actually become more rewarding like I have a lot more fun now or I enjoy it a lot more when I'm sitting there watching over a, a video interview that we've done with someone and, and editing it together now even than I did at the start because at the start I was like oh you know I'm, I'm tired I'm you know because it was yeah. a lot more tasking physically back then and and the video footage wasn't good or we just took 20 minutes to beat around the bush to mm. ask the right questions. And, and so, yeah, now I find it's actually, it's getting better. It's, it's yeah, there's, like, if there's a kind of up and down in terms of your mood, I mean, because there's always highs and lows, just it, it's trending upwards. Yeah. Like the lows are a lot higher than what they used to be. Yeah, and the finish line's in sight. What's, uh, you know, you're gonna have a big crowd with you guys finishing off or like, what are you thinking? Yeah, so the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, because that's where we're finishing, they're um, putting a lot of work into organising an event for us, um, so that's really nice of them. Um, so we're getting it at 8am next Friday, and we put all the information up on our Facebook page for people to come and run with us for the last, like, either for the last 12Ks, or they can jump in for us Gump style any time along the yeah. way. Um, so I think we'll get a bit of a crowd coming and running, running with us. Um, it, yeah, hopefully it'll be, be a really good day. Mm. Yeah. Must be like the emotions, like is it starting to bubble up inside <laughs> you, knowing you're well, you're close, but you're still so like Wangaratta to Melbourne, still a bloody long way to be running. <laughs> it feels pretty close. Yeah, yeah. does it? Yeah. <laughs> we saw a sign today. It said like 235 k's, and I was like, that is so close. Yeah. And, I, and then I was like interrogating my thought process, and I was like, a year ago, you would not have ever even dreamed yeah. of looking at that sign and saying, it's so close to Melbourne being 235 k's away. Yeah, I do massive. Like, I run 160k a week, and that's like two weeks. I do a lot of running in two weeks to hit 230k's. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's a massive... Uh, ama- What's been your biggest day of k's? 52 52. And that was just all highway. Um, and it's, Yeah, it was really hot. It was, yeah, we went straight one. to get smoothies after that. Yeah. <laughs> and like listening to music or podcasts or just letting the mind wander or yeah, what? That's a long time to be running. I prefer listening to things, and Jackson doesn't really. So often, like we'll kind of just run a bit separately, so I can blast something out. Because I really want to have headphones on a highway. Yeah. So like I'll have motivational music. Or this morning I listened to four episodes of your podcast. Yeah, thank to you get for that. Yeah. So thanks for that. Yeah. yeah, good motivation. I wish I'd discovered it earlier because I 
would have had something else to keep uh, me entertained. Yeah, there's plenty of good podcasts out there. Though, <laughs> is that, yeah. The next week, though, will be full of them, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah right. And just like getting a bit in the zone, Jackson, yeah, and letting I, the mind go. It's, it's weird at the start. I did listen to a little bit of music only when I was hurting. So I kind of like to save it for when I'm hurting because mm. music kind of has a pretty big impact on me. I'll notice yeah. if I put it on, I'll be running faster and you can block it out but I, I didn't I wanted to save it yeah but then I, I guess because there's not that much to do you start playing with yourself a bit like oh how long can I go without needing any sort of extrinsic motivator and I just really enjoy my head sp- I, I think because cross-country skiing in Australia it's a very solitary training regime not many people do it so I'm used to training and running and doing all that sort of stuff by myself so I I really enjoy just like at the start I would daydream a lot and think about different things but now I get into this zone where it's kind of just like a meditative state really blank and you're just breathing and yeah the time just just flies by Um, and I love it because like yeah say I had a like a rock in my shoe the other day and I was like oh should I stop and like pull it out or I was like maybe I can block it out just by like thinking Mm. about it and what and yeah I just blocked it out and you don't feel it's weird like yeah. you, you, you i guess i'm only just scratching the surface of tapping into that that brain stem the component that controls like yeah. reflexes and sensory bits and you can start like stripping senses away and yeah look i would say it's probably the weirdest part of the running is that you know i can go from hours four to five and i won't have even kind of realized that it's happened and it's just kind of happened and you know i'll be like you know, all these things, the cars that have come past that I've managed to get out of the way of, but it hasn't even crossed my conscious thought. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny early on, like sometimes we'd just be running in silence for quite a while and be running next to each other. And then like Jackson will say, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> this one time he was like, um, I've come up with an idea for a new political party. <laughs> you just start describing this political party that's like full of economists and He's like, it's going to be called The Force because he's a really big Star Wars fan. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I was just like, you've been thinking about this for the last four hours, haven't you? Yeah, four days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know the feeling. I do that with like podcast ideas and stuff all the time. And, yeah. and then you get back and you've got those endorphins and you're kind of a bit higher. higher and then I've done it a couple of times. Um, like just tweet. I'll be running like, we should ask that guy if he can come on the podcast. And. I think if I was in a sane mood, I wouldn't have the guts to or wouldn't do it. And I'll get home and I'll just open up the phone, bang, 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 like, geez, it's done. Like it's, and then they write back and they're like, oh, it's actually happening. Like, you know, it's kind of that weird state that you can get in with that confidence yeah. and stuff like that. What about nutrition? Like, obviously burning so many calories. And I'm sure we're not just smashing down a million gels a day. But how are you getting the carbs and, like, the replacement in? You can take that one. <laughs> yeah, oh, just, I mean, we eat pretty much anything. Yeah. Um, because, and, and it's amazing, sometimes the people that we're chatting and interviewing, um, or from all different backgrounds, will be like, hey, you've got to come out to our local Afghani restaurant. Yeah. And so yeah. we've just gotten used to getting our carbs from, from most sources, rice, bread, whatever, and getting our protein from a whole range of different things. But I guess the staples really are like, like peanut butter toast for breakfast, a banana. Sometimes I'll have muesli and yogurt if we've got a bit of time between breakfast and starting um and then during the run we just have like nut muesli bars there's always a bag of chips that's open you know just salt and vinegar or sea salt um and at the end we just have two like long life high protein like concentrate things so we just just as long as you get that protein in we're all about the chocolate milk yeah yeah yeah. well and it shows as well that you don't need all that kind of sports sciencey kind of stuff and yeah, might be a bit of a gimmick here and there with what you guys are kind of doing with just the yeah. natural stuff. We have a lot stuff. of electrolytes as well. Yeah. Like 
too many apparently <laughs> we, we read that we've been having like 10 of these tablets a yeah day i know the tablet you're talking about yeah and then we read the packet the other day and it said like recommended daily dose three or something like yeah, that yeah not if you're banging out 50k days now that might be a bit different we're worried about our yeah. heart yeah <laughs> i think your heart's being pretty good nick I, I i wouldn't be worrying too much about the heart it is interesting just how efficient your body gets though because particularly when it's not um when it's not cold or not too hot or even if it is a bit hot like well we can run for five hours after having just a pretty small breakfast by you know most standards two pieces of toast with peanut mm. butter and a banana and then we'll run for five hours and maybe eat two muesli bars and maybe a handful of chips every hour and a half and that's it mm. um for five hours of, of energy expenditure whereas at the start we would have a goo every 45 minutes sort of thing so i think just naturally i know that a lot of people talk about you know should you be having like a fat based fat, fat like, burner, burning burn, diet yeah. versus carb burning but I think we've just naturally kind of fallen into more fat burning. Yeah. Even though we still have a normal high carb diet, it's just the way that, it, and it does depend on how fast you're going. Like I'll notice if I start to push it a bit, I'll start to need to take on more food. But, but kind of just, yeah, sitting at a solid pace that you're used to. You should try getting a lab. I just did some lab testing about three weeks ago and measuring how many carbs and fat and stuff. And I'm just smashing carbs because the yeah. pace I kind of run at and don't do much of the kind of slower jogging but yeah you yeah. guys would probably they'd love to kind of see your stats and data yeah. and um yeah hook that up with melbourne uni, uni cassie there's, there's plenty of people there that know what they're doing yeah, yeah. interesting to see it's weird though as soon as you finish well for me it's like a, a, a switch just flicks and all of a sudden i just eat everything mm. i'm just like hungry for like from midday to midnight and then it's this cycle of in the morning you don't eat too much and you use the reserves that you've built the day before sort of thing yeah and do you ever feel like do you have hours where you just think about the food you're going to eat that afternoon when you <laughs> when you get to the town or the location that you're finishing up at oh sometimes i'm like dreaming of the chocolate milk at the end <laughs> yeah, yeah. But not as know. much as i thought yeah, yeah. that's an interesting one so life after you get to the finish line next week and what happens then because that can be a dangerous almost spot to be in. I know, mm. I was just talking to a mate the other day, I just ran a marathon two weeks ago, and you kind of put all your eggs in this basket, you're training, you're taping, you run the marathon, and then it's like a part of you is kind of, well, someone in your life's died because you don't think about this marathon anymore, it's not in your brain, and yeah. you guys have done that a million fold. So, yeah, what's what's coming up in life? Uh, for me, I'll have about two weeks of like just hanging out with family in Melbourne before I head back to Canberra to start work again. Yeah. And... Hopefully, I, I might try and tick off a marathon this year. Let's yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> I reckon you've done enough training. For <laughs> so, like, yeah, so 4,000 Ks in 100 days is, like, I averaged, I think, 145 K a week last year and did, like, 7,000. Like, and they're, they're good numbers, and you're, you're well on track to uh, put in a huge 12 months of training. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to keep doing yeah. this yeah. training. <laughs> still, you don't have to for four months, and you can still <laughs> smash most people good base and jackson for you like yeah i don't know it is tempting I, I knew a mate who did something like this and i remember the kind of 18 months afterwards he was just pulling all sorts of amazing kind of results out of his ass with no training yeah. so i was like oh i wonder if i'll get that sort of benefit or if like oh, i mean he was just an exceptional athlete as well so you know it's different it doesn't apply to everyone um so i guess i'm at risk because i i didn't really plan for life after this because part of me, I think my subconscious thought I would probably perish mid-run. I'd just be still somewhere yeah. up on the side of the road up there. And so I haven't applied for jobs or anything. So I'll be yeah taking a bit of time off. I need to get a job. I'm moving back to Sydney from because I finished uni in Canberra. So 
yeah, I was thinking maybe I should start a running group or something. And, yeah, well, you know, that sense of purpose is trail. probably there. When you just go back to the nine to five and it's it's good, like I'm sure you guys are both working good jobs and you're well qualified and things like that, but it's not yeah. that sense of purpose in a way. Yeah, like particularly yeah. like if I could, if we could convince more people that that doing something like this is possible, like I would happily go around preaching the virtues of, of long distance running. Yeah, well, and so yeah. that could be something fun to you do. You start getting even into like on the book side. deals and like public uh, speaking roles and uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's... I have absolutely no research to back anything that I say <laughs> in this podcast. Yeah, please consult yeah. a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Before embarking on five hour <laughs> long runs. Yeah, yeah. And overtraining, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. Overuse injuries. Yeah, if you do absolutely no intensity whatsoever, like yeah. having not run a kilometre faster than five and a half minutes for three and a half months, I'm actually, my friend, he's really interested to see if I can still run a three minute kilometre. Yeah. All the fast switch yeah. vibes are gone. Gone. Yeah. Gone, from, yeah, maybe forever. Hopefully not. But. I didn't think I had any to begin with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even stuff like you know ultra races and six foot track and all those kind of things it's like you kind of yeah prepare yeah. yourself for things like that in doing this potentially yeah we'll see i mean i bet what'll happen is i'll sit down for two weeks and then i'll wake up with an injury or yeah. i'll fall down the steps going to breakfast or something and so yeah, yeah. Body at least you got much. to melbourne yeah <laughs> yeah they'll never be able to take that away from me yeah. for sure hey i've taken up enough of your, your time and i know you're gonna meet some people shortly but i always finish off and ask the guests if they've got a life mantra or a life quote or, you know, a bit of a philosophy that they, they try and live their life by, you can go as deep or as surface level as you like here. And, yeah, maybe it's changed since the last 83 days. Uh, I don't know. It's, for me, it's pretty running-focused, I guess, but it's like every step you take gets you one step closer to your goal, mm. which... Um, I know it definitely applies to running in this case because I just take a step forward and I'm already closer to Melbourne. Yeah. But um, have you thought about that a lot, Cassie? When you've been out running, like it's although it's only one step and it's you know one meter, it's still one meter closer to Melbourne than you were yeah. before that. Yeah, I mean, until I accidentally start running backwards, like yeah. one day we actually ran backwards because well, like it's not a long story, but we didn't have a support crew for two days, so we had to sort of support each other by running in opposite directions and changing over the car keys and like, if that makes sense. So you could like, see the traffic is that? No? No, so we had to like, one person had to drive to the end and drop the car there so they'd start running back towards oh, the start yeah, and the other person right. would start at yeah. the start so we'd change over the car keys. Yeah, so you were going in the way. opposite direction. So we actually, I was like accidentally ran back to Cooktown <laughs> but other than that every step has been in the right direction. Even the fact that you guys did that to make it so legit that it was yeah. yeah, I mean, we're still running. Some people might be like, oh, but what if you like ran slightly downhill? Luckily, it was very, very flat yeah. between yeah. Mackay and Rockhampton. If someone so. picks you up on that, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's a poor indication of somebody's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what about you, Jackson? Yeah. You got a philosophy I think, well, or something? A friend of mine said to me, um, there's this quote that inspired her, which is from the Dalai Lama, which is, compassion is the radicalism of our time. And I think that that's definitely struck me in relation to this project is yeah and, and particularly when it comes to refugees and and asylum seekers you need to be able to have that level of compassion in the first place like we, we just wouldn't accept refugees and asylum seekers if we didn't if we mm. couldn't have any sort of level of empathy with their situation so so yeah being able to put people's actions in the context of, of where they've come from their backgrounds 
and yeah I, I think also for me it's it's an aspirational mantra because I very like you know just see things you know in the way that I think they should be seen and so yeah I think it's it's good for me to break that and yeah yeah good good order where can people I guess follow the journey and support and stuff you kind of mentioned the website and things like that and if they're listening the, to be able to support in any way yeah, so we've got a Facebook page called Founding Planes to Share. So it's B for Bob, not Pounding. Yeah. <laughs> Straight out of the there. anthem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's a Facebook page, so all the stories are up on there and we do a daily update on the run as well. Um, and there's a website, which is foundingplanestoshare.com um, and there's a contact form on there if you want to get in touch or you can just message us on Facebook. Um, there's also an Instagram or you can, if you're keen on the running and all the stats, you can follow us on Strava. We've got a club, yep. founding planes to share. Yeah. yeah, right. And like any, I don't know, like let's say people haven't had a lot to, I've listened to Tom Ballard's podcast a bit and he's like an amazing, like just some of the stats he shares around asylum seekers and refugees and like just some maybe closing stats that why this is such an important cause and something to support. Putting you on the spot, Matthew. Yeah, I mean, well, so like last year we settled there's like seventeen thousand five hundred Syrian refugees. Yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of people we spoke to, and they've been settled in. Sometimes they try to settle them in regional and remote communities to try and you know spread it out and and get them into communities that you know not just kind of like ghettoize into one mm. spot, but you know spread so that there's enough services and that sort of stuff. So I think for people to know that that kind of government has made a decision on your behalf because it's assessed this situation as requiring like a compassionate response. Um, you know, it's possible for you to just completely devolve yourself of that and say, okay, whatever, or like, oh, I don't really, you know, care. But to to kind of try and, and, and seek out someone who might be from that community and or if you see someone who you think might be and just, just ask, like just strike mm. up a conversation because what we found is so many people wouldn't mind sharing their story that just no one's ever asked them mm. where they came from or the circumstances or you know what they enjoyed doing or that that sort of stuff because although you'd think of those 17,500 people the stories must all be pretty similar right every, and, and I even I thought that I was kind of going into this being like oh another Syrian here we go mm. and every time I've come out being like wow that you know is such a different person to um, Hussein, who we interviewed last week, to um, Mahmoud, who we interviewed two weeks before that, because everyone's unique. Mm. So I think you'd, you'd be yeah, refreshed by the humanity of, of, the, of the statistics if you, mm. if you go in and, and start looking at these humanity projects. That 17,500 is pretty soft, though, wasn't it, that we took on? Like, how do you guys, yeah, like, obviously petitioning against government and, like, does it do your head in sometimes, some of the things that are decisions that are getting made in Canberra? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of a lot of negative things going on in the asylum seeker space, and yeah. um, you know, with Madison Nauru, mm. we've kind of tried to, I guess, like we're obviously, you know, we obviously share those views that a lot of people have um, against offshore detention and that sort of thing. But um, bounty place to share is kind of different to that in a way that we're trying not to focus on those sorts of campaigns that are already out mm. there just because that's already been done and it hasn't really worked so far mm. and we wanted to try something different that kind of um, 
I guess shares the personal side of it and isn't just a protest. We're not going out there with big signs that, you know, say close the camps or like not that that's the people who do that are obviously great people as well, but we're just not really protesters yeah. at heart. So we wanted to do something a bit more personal, a bit more emotional and um, probably a bit softer, but also something that might actually resonate with people because I think when people see the protests and the, you know, people with their mouths together and that yeah. sort of thing they kind of immediately shy away from it yeah. it's a bit too confronting yeah spreading the good stuff yeah so we're trying to make it really positive and we hope that by doing that people are more likely to sort of identify with it and get on board like through some of our stories we've felt firsthand the anguish that some people feel when you know they may have arrived here by boat and they're living in the community now and may have lived for many years in the community, but they still don't have the right to study or to work. Mm. And just the, the, the passion with which they want an education, it, it makes you know, someone like myself who you know, studied and, and was you know, involved in their studies, but really took them for granted. You know, I'd be off yeah. skiing and running and doing everything else but sitting at the library studying. And here is someone who wants nothing more in this world than to go to that university. And they're going to pay for it. You know, yeah. if, you're, if they're allowed to have hex, they'll ultimately yep. pay it off. So it's not something that, that really costs the government anything. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it just, it just made me sit there and think, oh, you know, it, it would be great if, if people can like, see these stories and, and really interrogate why if they hold an opinion like, oh, well, they shouldn't be allowed to study or they shouldn't be allowed to work. But, you know, a lot of these people want to go into jobs that a lot of Australians might, you know, I mean, I'm generalising now, but they're doing a lot of unglamorous jobs sometimes, mm. you know, nurses and doctors and aged care workers working in the community sector and space. Like, you know, people who want to give back so much uh, is a recurring theme of, and I mean, at least now we do have some statistical weight, you know, 80, 80 something stories, 83 stories. Mm. So, and, and overwhelmingly, all of them have said just how much they want to give back to this country. Mm. So, yeah, I hope if, if people are, are on the page and watching those stories that they, they might reconsider that opinion if they have it. That, yeah, give, yeah. give everyone a fair go, Cassie always says. And <laughs> yeah. It's a great mantra. Well, it's meant to be the Aussie kind of mantra, isn't yeah. it? Like, yeah. Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's, uh, it's always good when you can sit down and talk to people in detail and hear these amazing stories. And I wish you all the best the next week. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, yeah, I've only, yeah, Hamish Beaumont passed me contact details early in the week. So I'm a bit late to it all, but yeah, I've been scrolling through the old Facebook and following you guys on Instagram now. And hopefully we can help out and get a few people on board on the uh, on the end here. You can come and run with us to the finish. Yeah, what day of the week is it? On uh, Friday morning. Yeah, I'll be on Machuca, so I'm uh, like three yeah. hours away from Melbourne and got to teach my grade two, three, fours. But I do have Tuesday off. That's why I was like, oh, I wonder if... Uh... So, yeah, I'll have to digitally... I'll put in a few Ks Friday morning and be thinking about you guys from uh, yeah, 300 Ks up the river. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.